We are starting a brand new series today called Who? Who? And uh, these are the three questions we're going to cover. Uh, We're going to cover who are you chasing? Who are you serving? And while you're chasing someone and while you're serving someone, who is taking care of you? All right, Uh, because these are three thoughts that all of us are constantly needing to entertain. Who are you chasing? Who are you serving? And while you're doing those things, who is taking care of you? Uh, So let's dive right into it. Um, But before I get too deep into it, I want to reference a book that Chuck Swindoll wrote. Um, it, the, the name of the book uh, was, is called Improving Your Serve. Um, it's not, probably not a bestseller, even though he's written bestsellers, because people don't typically stand around going, I need to get better at serving. I'm going to go to the bookstore and buy a book on serving because I want to get better at that. Um, But it is a riveting read. Let me share an excerpt with you. It reads like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. $3 worth of God. Uh, Say $3 worth of God on three. One, two, three. All right. Say it like loud to wake up the person next to you. One, two, three. Oh, you sound so good. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like $3 worth of God, please. Isn't that, isn't that, so poetically written. I want enough of God to make me feel good, but I don't want so much of God that it's going to change my life that much. God, I want you to add to my life, but I don't want you to adjust my life. Isn't that interesting? God, I I want to know you, but I don't necessarily want to burn for you. I want to go to heaven, but I don't necessarily want to act like I'm in heaven right now. I heard this little girl uh, tell her parents, well, since we're going to live together for eternity... I have time to like you. 
It's like, I'm not going to start liking you now because I'm mad that you're making me clean my room, but I got plenty of time to start liking you. It's an interesting thing when a person has two options or three options with the Lord. Number one, I don't want anything to do with you. Number two, I want you to add to my life. Or number three, I have lived enough life, God, where nothing enamors me anymore. I just want to be on fire for you. I told this story a couple weeks ago. I couldn't believe that I said it then and I can't believe I'm about to say it now uh, because it's so personal to me. Uh, I would always hear people talk about how they've seen an angel and things like that and uh, I've always kind of coveted that experience. I had an experience of my own uh, about a month ago. I was sleeping in the middle of the night and uh, I woke up, but I wasn't uh, awake in my body. I, was, I just, I felt myself awake. I know this sounds really weird and I apologize for that, but uh, it is what it is. I, I was, I could see... Jesus about 10 feet away from me. Uh, I couldn't see his physical features like I see you, but I, I knew it was him. I could see his face, his beard. But where his body was, it was like the, he was like this spirit that was just kind of um, circling him. I understand now when the Bible says that the train of his robe filled uh, the the altar it filled the sanctuary I understand that I get it um, but while I was I was laying before him and I was experiencing so much love like I was swallowed up in it and I wish I had the words to express exactly what I felt but my words are just too shallow. The only way I can explain it is if I were to jump into a 15-foot pool, I was completely surrounded with water if I did that. And that's the way I felt love, just like I, I would feel water around me. And I was crying because I was loving the moment so much and I was telling the Lord, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And all of a sudden, I pictured my, it was right to my right, my three kids and my wife. I saw them. And it was so interesting that I saw them in my mind because there's nothing else on this planet that I love more than those three individuals. I tell my kids all the time, I love you more than I love me. Um, but while I was experiencing God's love, I was thinking about how much I love them. And I told Jesus, I just kept saying it over and over again, I'll trade, I'll trade, I'll trade. I, I, I don't want to go back. I just want to stay right here. I just want to stay right here. And I, I could have stayed there Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I could have just not moved from there. I could have just stayed right there. 
And I, I have anxiety attacks. I've always had anxiety attacks in my life ever since I was uh, four or five years old. And the anxiety attacks always string back to the fear of living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Has anyone ever had an anxiety attack like that? All right, me and three people. Cool. Um, but I get it now. Um, just being there forever and ever and ever, I, I could do that. And I know that um, that just seems far, um, and I don't know why I shared that, because to be honest with you, it's going to be a big stretch to make that fit into my sermon. Um, I wasn't planning on sharing that. Um, But I will say this, that to experience that level of relationship requires a level of investment, a level of pursuit a level of desire, and it's going to cost more than $3. It's not going to cost money. It's just going to cost everything else. And, and you have to hit that moment in your life where that means more to you than anything else. I saw a Bentley the other day um, in, in Market Street. It was a black Bentley. And I smiled at the Bentley because that's always been my dream car. It's a Bentley. And I smiled at it, and uh, every time I've seen a Bentley my whole life, I'm like, man, I want that car. But it was so interesting because I smiled at it this time, and it was just a piece of metal. And I can feel myself finally maturing. I say finally because I should have crossed these bridge earlier in life, but I'm just crossing it now. And I'm reaching that point, and many of you are reaching it in this season that you're in right now, and some of you have been there for years, where the Bentley in the house and everything that goes along with it is just petty. What we want now is something that's real. See, I don't know about you, when I show up to church, I'm not interested in the four songs, the offering, and the 27-minute message. I'm showing up with an expectation that maybe something is going to grab my heart and I'm never, ever going to be the same again. Does anyone show up with that expectation? Like, that's why I'm here. Otherwise, I would treat Saturday, Sunday like a Saturday. Just sleep in and watch golf. I show up with the expectation that maybe something will wreck me. But it's going to cost $3 more of effort. $3 more of God, please. A lot of people are fine with $3 of God. Uh, Just enough to warm their heart, but not enough to burn their soul. For the people, for those of us that connect with that, that this is what I want, there's three questions that we have to ask. Number one is who are you chasing? Uh, let me see if I can illustrate this uh, with using the scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 21, um, the children of Israel asked for a king. They had never had a king before. And, and God pointed out Saul and said, this is going to be my king. He was just a young man. And a man named Samuel anointed him to be king. And finally, Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked 
before him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. It's so interesting because Samuel anointed Saul to be king, said, you are going to be king. God has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you. And then when the time actually came, all of a sudden Saul is hiding in the baggage. it, It happened most likely like this. I now introduce to you your king. Your king. I now introduce to you your king. And he never comes out. And he's hiding amongst the baggage. You're like, what's the baggage there for? All these people came from miles and miles away and they showed up on horses and donkeys and buggies and carriages and and they all had them like parked over there. I don't know if you can park a horse, but they were all over there. And Saul, in the last second, right before he answers the call of God on his life, he, he Chickens out. He's like, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think. And it's interesting. They come back and they're like, God, where is he? So he must have been gone for a while, more than like five minutes. Where is he? And when I ask you the question, who are you chasing? What I'm referring to are the people in your life where you have prayed and say, God, Help him. Help her. Where are they and what are they doing? Help them. Get them. Help them. And and what I've learned is the baggage that they are stuck in. um, Oftentimes they're stuck in the same baggage that we are in. Because there's lots of different types of baggage that you can have in your life. Or it's baggage that you once had yourself. Let me give you a few examples. Um, has anyone here ever had this sense of just feeling unworthy? You just uh, feel uh, depressed, down, discouraged. Uh, I'm going to tell you that when you, when you experience depression... What I've learned is that God will allow you to go through seasons that he wants to empower you to help other people get through. So in other words, sometimes I will go through a season of depression and wonder why is this happening to me? And then realize that I need to preach a message on depression which was so funny because the last time I did that was on Easter Sunday. And I was like, God, serious? Like, it's Easter? You want me to tell everybody on Easter that, hey, you know, I fight depression a lot. Are you serious? Like, I'm supposed to be like, like happy with a flower on my jacket. And like, serious? And right before Easter got here, I'm going through a major depression. And then I stand up on Easter, I get out of it, and I'm like, gosh, that was, that was horrible. 
That was terrible. And I'm like, okay, now that's what I'm supposed to use today. Let me just tell you, if you've gone through these seasons where you know what that baggage feels like, you didn't go through it because God needed some entertainment and he wanted to watch you on how you handled it. Oh, watch this. Here it comes. They're not doing good. He allows you to go through things because you're going to use that to help other people. And so when you back up and go, God help him, God help her, a lot of times they're, they're going through what you've been through. And, and here's another set of baggage that's interesting, the baggage of good intentions. They're just always about to do something good. And you can look at them and see it. You don't have to tell them. You just go, but you're just a dude with a bunch of good intentions. No, 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 no. That's not going to go well. But you can tell it. Number three, doubts and unbeliefs. People that, that don't come to church because they, they doubt a part of God, so they reject all of God. Well, hasn't, haven't you fought doubt before? Haven't you struggled with that before? So here's the question, is there anybody at the office? Is there anybody on your street? Is there anybody in your family that you are like, I am going to chase you? Samuel was thinking about Saul. He's introducing Saul and he's, he, he could have just went, all right, everyone, you know, go on home. I guess Saul doesn't want to step up into this. He goes back and he gets Saul and he pushes him into his calling. He brings him out. I just want to let you know that our responsibility in life is to find somebody to chase. It's not an optional thing. The Great Commission is an assignment, not a suggestion. And every one of us, including me as the senior pastor, We have to ask ourselves, who are we trying to pull out of baggage? Who are we trying to invite? I got a text message the other day from somebody who, um, they were really, really committed to the church. And then all of a sudden they stopped coming and years went by. And things began to unravel in their life. And I just thought, somebody, get that person back into the house of God. If you're not anchored in the house of God, you will be thrown around like a wave in the ocean. And so when we see our friends and our family that are struggling, you don't have the answers. You're not Dr. Phil. But you do know where the answers are. You got to invite them. And so let me ask you, especially the church people, people that have been going to church for years, haven't brought people to church in years. Uh, The people who bring the most people to church are the people that recently gave their life to the Lord. Recently, that's a statistic. And let me just tell you, that's not okay. It's not okay because you are only on this earth to tell people about the Lord because everything else you do, you can do in heaven. God has an assignment for you. And the enemy just wants to distract us with other important, actually the Bible calls it this, the truth is choked because of cares and concerns of the world. 
And so who are you chasing? What I've learned is the more involved I get in somebody's life, the more on fire I become with God. The more gifts that God gives me, the more my relationship, the, uh, my relationship with him is contingent on how much effort I'm giving to someone else. You'll never find Jesus doing a miracle around people who don't need one. It's who are you chasing? And number two is who are you serving? Uh, I, I rarely do this, but I want to do it today. Um, I'm going to use some content that I used last Sunday during this part of the sermon because I just feel like it's apropos. The Bible says this, that, um, here, I'll read it to you. It reads like this, that he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you humble yourself, now humbling yourself, does, uh, who said it? C.S. Lewis says it like this. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So when the Bible says people who humble themselves will be lifted up, that doesn't mean you go look in the mirror and go, you are spit, you are dumb, you're a box of rocks. Am I doing good? No, that's not the humility that the scripture is talking about. But humility is not something that happens to us. Humility is something that we do to ourselves. Jesus humbled himself. So how do we humble ourselves? Um, I wrote a personal list. Maybe you can adapt these. Maybe uh, they don't fit for you. But um, let me share a few of them that I try to do. Number one is I voluntarily confess sin. I tell the Lord often, I'm sorry I thought that. I'm sorry I did that. Uh, Voluntarily. Uh, Number two is I try to treat others better than myself. Try. Do I do it a lot? No. But when I make the cup of coffee for someone else first, when I open, have you ever opened up the, have you ever been walking out a door like out of a movie theater or out of an office building and you hold the door open for the person behind you and then you're stuck there for like 30 people and you're like, what in the world? And then you start getting mad because nobody's saying thank you. It's like, I'm giving up my life right now to hold this door. Somebody say thank you for all that's good and holy. It's just, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do these things more often. That makes me humble. Uh, Here's, to say sorry first and most makes me humble. It makes me humble because to be real honest with you, most of the time it's my wife's fault. (laughs) I can only say that because she came to the first service. She's not in here right now. (laughs) To say sorry for, have you ever said sorry for something that you, that, you weren't really sorry for, you were just trying to make the peace. Have you ever been there? That's a humbling thing. Have you ever had the person go back to you and say, I accept your apology? And then you're like, whoa. (laughs) 
I was sorry, <laughs> but now I'm not. Have you ever played the freeze out game? It's not a game at all, but we'll call it a game where it's just like, you know what? I'm not going to talk to you for the next like forever. And they say, I'm not going to talk to you, but you never tell each other. We're not going to talk to you. You just don't talk to each other. Have you ever been there? I got you. I got you. You guys are looking at me like this. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I've never done that. That's cool. Um, I've done it enough for all of us. It's just freezing them out. I'm just don't talk to me. Don't look at me. You're lucky I'm going to let you breathe the same air as me. <laughs> We're not talking to each other. And then every day that goes by to say sorry gets harder and harder. And every day that goes by, you build your case bigger and bigger on why you're right. You guys are being so silly today. Because you're looking at me like you've never been down this road. I'm like, okay, I'll play along. Maybe the person you're sitting next to, you're not talking and you're mad I'm talking about this. All right, I'll get off of it in just a second. I'm looking at some husbands here like, dude, X nay this point, dude. Ain't good, man, it ain't good. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, how are we going to say sorry? I I had to say sorry to somebody the other day and I was just like, ah! I went and said sorry. I needed to say sorry. I was wrong. It's so funny because I have a basketball goal at our house that uh, I went out to go shoot on the goal and, and I said to the Lord, are you happy now? I wasn't being a smart mouth. I was just having a father-son moment. I was like, I actually said these words. I knew you weren't going to let me get away with that. Are you happy now? And he wasn't because I thought of someone else I needed to apologize to. Sorry first and most. That makes me humble. When you make yourself humble, the Bible says that he will raise you up. He'll begin to open up doors of opportunity for you. Uh, But if you're like, I'm right, you know I'm right, they know I'm right, everybody can see I'm right, I'm not saying I'm sorry. I don't know where the spit came from, it just, it humbles you. The second thing is whenever we um, reach out first and we reach out most, that humbles us. And, and when we do that, the Lord raises us up. So the first question is, is, is who are you chasing? The second question is, is who are you serving? Who are you humbling yourself to serve? And, and let me just say this, whenever you're on this seven acre piece of property on the corner of Research Forest and Cochran's Crossing, we're, we're here to serve each other. And if you're a guest here, if you're visiting here, you have a free pass. You just enjoy being served by us. But if this is your church home and you are not on the dream team, time's up. You have been receiving long enough. You are full of receiving. You have had seconds too many times. 
It is time for you to start contributing to the family. All right? This is how we're going to do it. We are all needing to be on the dream team. There are over 400 people that are a part of the dream team that serve on a Sunday. And the only thing you got to do is show up 20 minutes early or show up 20 minutes late. That's it. Stand up if you are an usher in this church. Just stand up if you are an usher. They're sitting right next to you. The only difference is, is they contribute and maybe you don't. And let's give our ushers a big round of applause. So when you leave today and you go out into that lobby, I want you to sign up to be a part of our dream team. Now, whenever I was prepping this sermon and I was going to ask you to be a part of the dream team, it was a lot softer and sweeter than that in my head. Um, but I only had three cups of coffee this morning. I was supposed to have five. So let me rewind and say it over. Our family will be much more warmer if you join the dream team this morning. Was that better? Did I say that better? Number three. So here we go. Let's have this moment of honesty. We're living our life to chase somebody, to find somebody to bring to church, to pursue them, to say, look, your life would be better if you were in the house of God. We're finding someone. Always should be chasing someone. Always serving someone. And when God sees that, he raises us up. But to be completely transparent with you. I don't know if you've ever thought this. I've thought this a thousand times. If I'm taking care of you and I'm taking my whole life and investing it into you, who's taking care of me? Maybe you've never thought that. I think it. Here's what I want to say. There's a scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, It reads like this, Psalms 56 verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You have shed tears in your life that you don't even remember shedding. Some of you have shed tears recently and you remember shedding them. But all of us have shed tears that we have forgotten we've ever shed. At the moment, it was painful. I read recently that when a baby is crying for their bottle or their pacifier, their level of anxiety is just as high as if our car got stolen. To everybody else, I've got a three-year-old. When she cries for her bottle or she wants milk, I'm like, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'll get to it when I get to it. Her level of anxiety is high. She's crying. I just want you to know, I don't know if your tears were 75 years ago or if they were 75 minutes ago, but every single tear that you've ever, ca- you've ever cried, ever cried in your life, even the ones that you cried at two in the morning and they went down and went into your ear, I've been there. 
the Lord of heaven's armies, assigned angels to come stand next to you with bottles to catch every single one. Even the ones that you have forgotten are in a bottle in heaven. And I just want you to know, I know it's burdensome to chase someone, to serve someone. I know it's burdensome. But just know the Lord cares about your cares. He catches all of them. Many of us have written in journals before. I'm kind of a funny journal writer because I only like to journal in a new journal. So I have like five journals with two pages journaled. Anyone like me on that? I got, get a new journal. Ooh, this one has a lock on it. I got a journal in it. And then I write three pages and then I forget about it. But I just want you to know that the Bible says that every single one of your sorrows has been recorded. And when you get to heaven, there is going to be book after book after book of every single care, of every single moment, every single thought of anxiety and depression and stress has been recorded you know, God has a set of books. There's the Lamb's book of life that he has. There is a book of remembrance. In Malachi, every time you talk about the Lord, he has an angel record it. And then there is a book of sorrows where every single sorrow, this is how consumed he is with you. That the day you gave your life to him, it was written in a book. Every time you talk about him, what you say gets written in a book. And every worry and concern that you have gets penned on pages in heaven. You don't have to be consumed with your own worries. You can in, not live your life, but invest your life chasing people and serving people, knowing that God is taking care of you. You can't see it and you can't measure it, but he is taking care of you. If everybody here would stand to your feet for me, please. Bow your head and close your eyes. And I'd like for all the prayer partners to come down if they would. With your head down and your eyes closed. Let me ask you a question. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, have you been living for the Lord? Has he been a first option or a last result for you? Have you been living for him? If you're not ready to see the Lord, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Let's straighten that out right now because he loves you more than I could ever express. Go ahead and raise your hand right where you are. There you go. Hands are going up all over the room. If we can all just raise both hands right where you are and let's say this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know the exact season that you're in. Uh, but I want you to know this, that if in your, if you're in a rough patch where you have concerns and worries and stresses, and some of these stresses, you're never not thinking about them. Like you might be laughing about something, but in the back of your mind, you're still thinking about it. When it has reached that level, I just want you to know it has gotten too big for you to fix yourself. It's gotten too big for you to fix yourself. And these are the moments where we come to our God who controls the wind and the waves, who is so consumed with you that he's writing journals, volumes about you. I want to encourage you, come out of your seat. Take the hand of someone down here. Let them pray for you. And every single time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. Be blessed in the name of the Lord's celebration. I'll see you next week.